how you doing this weekend? Uh, it's good to be with you. I'm Jeff Surratt, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast, and uh, it's my privilege to be with you as we uh, get into part three of our series called Hope Epidemic. Man, I am ready for Christmas. I love this time of year. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a little envious of those of you in North Carolina. I saw that uh, you're probably getting a little snow this weekend, and man, I, I, I love that. I don't love it enough to actually move where it's cold, but uh, hey, I'm happy for, happy for you. You know, as we dive in, uh, we're gonna, as I said, we're going to look at the third part of Hope Epidemic. And let me ask you a question. Do you lose stuff? I mean, because I'm wondering if I'm the only one. How, how many of you would say on a fairly regular basis, you, you lose things. Do you? A couple of you do? Okay. Well, I just want to make a confession. I don't lose things once in a while. I lose things all the time. In fact, I lose things every day. I have lost my keys. I have lost my glasses. Um, I have lost my car. Um, I even lost my hotel one time, which was, it's not easy to lose a hotel. But let me tell you about one of the worst things I, I, I lost and, and what a challenge it was. I was flying back from India. Mac Lake and I had gone over to do some teaching in India, and we were on our way back. And the commute back from India is about a 30-hour trip. And in the middle of the trip, we had, I think, a four-hour layover in Frankfurt, Germany. And so I was tired. It was 3 in the morning or 3 in the afternoon. Or if you've traveled internationally, you know your, your body gets, the clock gets all, all out of whack. And so we were traveling back. We were in Frankfurt. And I decided I wanted to get on the Internet and I wanted to send a couple of emails. And so to do that, I needed my wallet. So I pulled my wallet out. I needed to get my credit card. And when I finished with my credit card, I, I connected to the Internet. And instead of putting my wallet back in my pocket like I should have, I laid it down on the bench next to me. Well, I finished doing some emails, and then I thought, man, I'm really thirsty. I'm going to go get a Coke. And so there was a McDonald's upstairs, and so I rode the elevator escalator up to McDonald's. And when I got up there, I reached for my wallet, and I realized, oh, no, I have left my wallet laying on the bench. So as fast as I could, I actually ran down the escalator, ran back to the bench where, where, where I'd left my wallet, and I, and I looked, and it wasn't there. I didn't know what to do. I mean, in, in my wallet is all my credit cards, all my money, all my identification, and I'm in a foreign country, and I've lost my wallet. Well, as I was looking there with kind of, I guess, a look of panic on my face, there was a guy, uh, old, older-looking guy, kind of grizzly-looking, and, and, and he said in a real heavy kind of Eastern European accent, he said, you lost wallet. I said, yeah, 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 I lost my wallet. Do you have my wallet? He said, no, <laughs> we, we doing jokes here? What's the deal? He said, no, no, I gave wallet to, uh, I gave wallet to lady, uh, lady with cart and little boy. <laughs> you just randomly handed my wallet off to some lady? And he said, no, 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 she had uniform, uh, uh, red uniform, cart, little boy. I thought, oh my goodness, this guy, for whatever reason, decided the best thing to do with a lost wallet is to hand it to a cleaning lady who has her child at work with her. How in the world am I going to find my wallet? He said, oh, let's go, let's go information. We'll see if it's turned in. I said, okay, all right. So we, we, he went with me and we went back up the escalator to the information desk and working the information desk that day was, uh, Fraulein Badenoff. I think that was her name. I'm pretty sure that she was a guard at a World War II German concentration camp. And I said, ma'am, excuse me, I have lost my wallet. And she interrupted me and said, that, no, that is not my problem. I said, I, no, I know it's not. I was just wondering if my wallet perhaps had been turned in. She said, no, no wallets have been turned in. Not my problem. We only do information. We don't do wallets. I said, okay, thank, thank, thank you. I, that's okay, great. 
And so I started trying to talk to the Eastern European guy, and we were having trouble communicating. And I thought, well, I'll find somebody that can translate. There's all kinds of internationals here. Somebody will be able to translate. So I said, what language do you speak? He smiled, kind of a wry smile. He said, Croatian. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever looked for a Croatian translator in Frankfurt, Germany, but it's a challenge. And so we just had to battle through the language thing. And he said, he said, well, let's find the lady. Let's find the lady. She red uniform. I said, okay, well, we started looking around for red uniforms and we found uh, a, a guard, a lady, a guard who was wearing a red uniform. It wasn't the lady he, he knew. But she said, well, go to the security room. So we go to the security room and we stop somebody and I say, hey, uh, I lost my wallet. And this guy says he handed it to somebody with a red uniform. And they stopped me and said, you need to go talk to information. I I wasn't going back there. I was afraid of Fraulein Badenov. So I, I didn't know what to do at that point. All of a sudden, this Croatian guy, he tells me he's a fisherman and he's headed back to Croatia. He's waiting on his flight. But he says... I will find the woman. And so he just takes off walking down one of the terminals. I thought, you know, what have I got to lose? I don't have ID. I don't have money. I don't have credit cards. I'm out of luck. I I, I have no other choice. So I just follow this guy down, uh, down a terminal. And there are hundreds of people coming both ways in every direction. All of a sudden, he stops and he points and he's excited. And he says, there she is. There she is. There she is. There's the woman. There's the woman. And I look down the hall and coming toward us is a woman wearing a uniform, a blue uniform. I assume in Croatian, red means blue. And she was pushing a wheelchair, which is like a cart, but it's a wheelchair. So he runs up to her and he says, this is the man. And come to find out, she must have been uh, Fraulein Badenoff's daughter because she had the same warm attitude toward us. And she said, what man? And he said, the man, the man who has the wallet. Where's the wallet? And so she got on her walkie-talkie and talked a couple minutes. And she said, my associate has the wallet and he'll meet you, guess where? That's right, at the information desk. So I go back to the information desk. The Croatian fisherman comes with me. We get up there and there... Standing there holding my wallet is a guy wearing a blue uniform, and he's about five feet, three inches tall. That's right. He's the little boy that the man told me about. And I got my wallet back. And the most amazing thing happened. I I turned to this Croatian fisherman, never met him before in my life. He spent 30 minutes tracking down my wallet, and I I, I pull out a a, a bill. I had a $100 bill in there, and I figured it was all lost anyway. So I went to hand him the $100 bill. And he put up his hands. He said, no, no, no. And he smiled at me. And he said, you are a very lucky man. And he turned around and he walked away. That experience, thought about that. I lost something very valuable and through a process that made no sense whatsoever. And then to this day, I don't quite understand. I got it back. Have you ever had an experience like that? I mean, have you ever lost something really valuable? Maybe maybe you've lost a house or or maybe you've lost a car, or, or, or maybe you've lost a child for a period of time, or, or maybe you've even lost a marriage, and, and, and you've just felt the pain of loss, and how do you deal with that? Well, what, let me tell you what I think. I think all those things are a, a huge challenge, but I think they're symptoms of the ultimate loss. And for me, the ultimate loss is to lose hope. And that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we've talked about for the last two weeks, we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how do you lose hope? 
How do you find hope? And then how do you start a hope epidemic? Before we dive in, uh, would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you. What an amazing privilege to speak this weekend. And Lord, to just um, pop open the word and, and to hear from you, to experience your, uh, your truth. Lord, I pray today that you'll just speak through me. I pray that to those who I speak, can speak live to, to those who watch through the, through the video, I pray that your word will come alive. And Lord, that we'll hear, hear your voice. And Lord, that you will use my words to illuminate your word. Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you lose hope? The story that we've been looking at in Hope Epidemic is found in John chapter 4. In fact, if you have your Bible, you can pop open to that. And it's a story commonly known as the woman at the well. And and you know the story. Jesus goes in the middle of the day. He he wants a drink of water. A, A woman comes out at noon. She's by herself, and he, <clears throat> he asks her for a drink of water. And we find out later in the story that this woman is the end of a rope. This is a woman who is by herself. No one will have anything to do with her. That's why she's there at, no, at noon. She's a, she's a cast-off from society. We know that she's been married again and again and again. In fact, she's been married five times, and she's been divorced five times. And now she is living with a man who's not even her husband. And in that society at that time, that was a huge stigma. How did she get there? I mean, how did this woman get to the end of her rope? How did she get to a place where she had no hope? You know, I wonder, the Bible doesn't really tell us. It doesn't give us details. But you know, at some point she was born, she was... She was the apple of some daddy's eye. She was a cute little girl and she giggled and she laughed and she ran and she played and, and, and she learned to walk and she, she learned to read and she, she learned to do all the things the other little girls did. But somewhere along the way, life threw her a curve. We don't know what that curve was. Maybe she was abused as a child or, or maybe she hung out with the wrong people or maybe she made some unfortunate choices. Or maybe there were things that had nothing to do with her. Maybe a husband died and, and, and then she had no choice to but to marry again. And, and maybe that husband divorced her. And maybe this husband abandoned her. And, and whatever the circumstances were, life threw this lady a curve. And you know, that's the deal. That's how losing hope always starts. It always starts when we suffer. Something happens to us. Something changes in our life. And the truth is, is that we all suffer, that, that everybody suffers. It, 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 happens, it happens to all of us. <clears throat> you know, it starts out, life starts out with a promise or something in life starts with a promise. Maybe we get a new job or maybe we get a, 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 a new marriage or a new relationship or a new baby or, or, or just something new and exciting and it's shiny and it's fresh and we're excited about it and, and it lasts for a time and, and then something happens, something changes. Life throws us a curve. Maybe the job doesn't turn out to be what we thought it was or maybe the marriage starts to turn sour or, or maybe there's even an affair or maybe something happens, a doctor gives us a report that we just can't accept, we can't believe and it brings us to our knees and we face suffering. And that's where loss of hope happens. So what do we do when we suffer? What do we do? Well, you know what the natural reaction is when we suffer is we want to escape. 
Nobody says, hey, I love to suffer. This is great. I, I, this is awesome that life has thrown me such a curve. All of us would say, you know, I want to get away from this. So, so we want to find a way to get away from the suffering, to find a quick, a quick fix. And, and we go different places when we suffer. Some of us, when we are up against a tough time, maybe we go, we, we shop. And, and there's nothing wrong with shopping, but it becomes an escape for us. And for some of us, it's eating. And for some of it, it's alcohol. And for some of us, it might be drugs. And for some of us, it might be cruising, cruising the internet for porn. And sometimes we wind up in affairs. And sometimes we wind up doing things that we know aren't healthy, but we're trying to escape the pain of life. We're trying to put off the suffering. And what happens is it works. It works. I mean, we try to escape the pain. We, we shop or we eat or we, we, we do illicit sex or, or it's alcohol or it's drugs or, or we work harder. We, we, we stay at our job longer or whatever it is. We find an escape mechanism and it works for a while. But then what happens is it doesn't continue to work because the suffering's still there. The curve that life has thrown us has not changed and so we wind up back in the suffering again and, and then we escape again and then we suffer again and then we escape again. And it can become a cycle that goes over and over and over again. And we don't think of it that way, but we find ourselves going back again and again and again to whatever escape mechanism we have chosen. And what happens is what begins with suffering and moves to escape becomes bondage. And we can find ourselves trapped in this cycle over and over and over again. And then new suffering comes and we try new escapes. And maybe we break the cycle for a little while, but then it can come back. And eventually, if we suffer and we escape and we find ourselves in bondage, the eventual destination can be hopelessness. And I think the woman at the well, I think that when she arrived that day at the well, I think that's where she probably was, is at the bottom, at the end of hopelessness. So that's how we lose our hope. Aren't you glad you came this weekend? How many of you are just encouraged now? Just this has been a good time. It it is. Because what I want to talk about now, that's how we lose our hope. Let me talk to you about how we find hope. How we find hope. It's um, Romans chapter 5. The Apostle Paul addresses this topic. And, And it gives us just a pattern to how hope can can be found in our lives. Take a look at this. It's in your outline sheet. Romans chapter 5, it begins with verse 1. says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Do you see kind of a pattern there? Do you see what Paul's talking about? The first thing Paul says is that hope begins, hope begins with peace with God. Hope begins with a real relationship with Jesus Christ, not a mental ascent, not a visit to a church, not a, you know, I walked down an aisle when I was young or I was baptized or I was confirmed. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but that's not where hope begins. Hope begins in a face-to-face, personal, intimate, deep encounter with who Jesus is, that he came to earth as a little baby, 
that he lived a sinless life, that he died on a cross, that he rose from the dead. And that if I ask him to forgive me of my sins, that he will wash me and he'll make me clean and I can live in him. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, if you don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus, I don't know where you find hope. I mean, I don't say that with any pleasure. My heart breaks for you. And I see people all the time that are desperate in life, but they've never turned their stuff over to Jesus. And I don't know where they find hope. At the same time, I want to be honest. I want to be transparent. I think we've sold Christianity with false promises. I think in the church many times we've left the impression that if you'll connect with Jesus, if you'll have that intimate uh, uh, connection with Jesus, then, then you'll always have hope and life will always be full of hope. And you may have a little up and down, but, but you'll never be hopeless. And the truth is, is, as Christians, we face the same challenges that everybody else does. We go through the same kind of stuff that everyone else does. We all live in the same fallen world. And the reality is, guys, you just got to be honest that even if we have a relationship with Jesus, we still can struggle with hope. We can still feel like we're hopeless because Paul talks about it's just not an automatic thing. There's, there's a process that we go through where we reach hope. See, <clears throat> the truth is, is that no one is immune from suffering and suffering is where hope begins. See, I, I talked before about hopelessness and how do we lose hope? We lose hope when we suffer. Well, finding hope begins with suffer, suffering too because no one's immune. Life throws all of us curves. The, re, the, the, the path to hope is dependent on what we do with the curve that life throws us. Paul says this, he says, suffering produces endurance. What does that mean? That means that instead of looking for the quick fix, instead of looking for the escape, we learn, we learn to endure. Now, this isn't a stoic, you know, I'll grip my teeth. I'll just, man, I'll get through this. I'm, I'm a tough guy. I'm going to cowboy up. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. This suffering isn't going to take me down. Now, that's denial. And denial is just another escape mechanism. But endurance says, you know what? This hurts. This hurts deeply. But I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to escape. I'm going to find God through the suffering. When Jesus suffered, when he suffered the most, when he was in the garden and he was facing death on a cross, which sometimes we think, That was the big thing, but that wasn't the big thing. The big thing was he was facing death on a cross, which meant total separation from his heavenly Father. And Jesus knew the pain that that would cause, and he felt it already beginning in his heart. And as he faced that, Jesus didn't grit his teeth. Jesus didn't say, I can do this. Jesus cried. Man, he wept. He wept, the Bible says, bitterly. He wept until until blood ran down his face. But he said this. He said, God, if you can take this cup away, please take it away. This suffering is just too much. But if it's your will, I'll endure because your will is primary. I have a friend who's going through the toughest thing he's ever gone through in his life. And he's suffering. He's facing loss in a way he never thought he would face through no fault of his own, no mistake he made. It's just loss. And 
I sat down with him this week and I talked about it. And he said, you know, this, this is painful. But in this, my quest is, God, what are you doing in my life? God, what do you want me to learn? God, how can I grow? What is my ultimate purpose and how can I reach it through what's going on? See, that's when suffering is doing a positive work. A lot of our pastors here at Seacoast are familiar with a pastor named Matt Chandler out in, in uh, Dallas, Texas. And Matt's a young guy in his 30s. He's an amazing communicator. And on Thanksgiving Day, he um, collapsed with a seizure and they took him to the hospital and they, they found that he had a malignant tumor. And uh, they did surgery this week. And we're praying with his family. And we're praying with that church that... God's going to heal him. But before he went in for that surgery, Matt did a video for his church, and he said in this video, he said, as I go through this, I want the church to know that I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I don't know what the ultimate thing will happen. But in this, I want you to know that Jesus is enough. That's endurance. See, when I suffer, I hurt. I want it to end. I... I I don't want to face what's next, and yet I don't escape, I don't run, I don't hide, I don't deny, I endure. And Paul says that when endurance has done its work, it produces, it leads to character. It leads to character. I love the way uh, one uh, one translator uh, 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 defines that Greek word that that in in our translation is character. Uh, They say it's trustiness. Don't you love that word? Trustiness. In fact, why don't we say that together? Trustiness. Man, I, I would lo- that's what I want in my life. I want to be someone that he says, you know what, Jeff, you know Jeff Surratt? He's got a lot of trustiness. I mean, that's what endurance does. Uh, uh, it, it, it's kind of like at home. I've got this old ladder. I've had this ladder for 26 years. We bought it the year, first year Sherry and I were married. And this ladder has been through everything. It's been through about six or seven moves. Um, it's old and it's wooden. It's got paint spilled on it from every paint job I've done for 26 years. Uh, you know the, the little wooden thing on the old wooden ladders, the, the, the little shelf that sticks out where you can put a paint bucket? Well, mine actually snapped off, so it's, it's not there anymore. And, and not all of the bolts are completely tight. And honestly, it's probably a little bit rickety. But when I have a job that I want to do around the house, that's the ladder that I go for. Now, I have another one that's aluminum, and it's bigger, and it's sturdy, and it's all those things, but I don't know how to explain it, but it just doesn't have the trustiness of my old wooden ladder. See, that's what suffering does. Suffering chips at us, and it it may make some cracks and spill a little bit on us, and we may not be new and fresh, (laughs) But when we endure, we grow character. We grow trustiness. One of my favorite quotes is from an old children's story, The Velveteen Rabbit. Let me read a passage to you from The Velveteen Rabbit. The skin horse had lived longer in the nursery than any of the others. He was so old that his brown coat was bald in patches and showed the seams underneath, and most of the hairs in his tail had been pulled out to string bead necklaces. He was wise, for he had seen a long succession of mechanical toys arrive to boast and swagger and by and by break their main springs and pass away. And he knew that they were only toys and would never turn into anything else. For nursery magic is very strange and wonderful, and only those playthings that are old and wise and experienced, like the skin horse, understand all about it. 
What is real? asked the rabbit one day when they were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana came to tidy the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who will break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. I suppose you are real, said the rabbit. And then he wished he had not said it for he thought the skin horse might be sensitive. But the skin horse only smiled. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character culminates in hope. You see, when your life is intimately connected to Jesus, when you have suffered and endured and character is developed, inside you, you grow a deep sense of hope. Not because your circumstances are better than other people's circumstances and not because you do not suffer, but because inside you're real. You know what is real. And you know that life isn't really about you. You see, the point of having hope isn't so that I'll be a better person. The point of having hope isn't so my life will be better. The point of having hope is so that I will give it away. See, if I endure the process, but I keep the hope to myself, I've missed the whole point. See, the point of Jesus' life, when he came as a little baby and he lived on earth and he grew and he was crucified and he died and he went back to heaven, it wasn't about his life. It wasn't even about his disciples' life. It was about starting a hope epidemic. The point of Jesus going to this well in Samaria wasn't about this cute little story about this woman whose life was changed as awesome as that is. The point was is that she would tell her neighbor who would tell her neighbor who would tell her neighbor and that hope would spread throughout her community and throughout her nation. So that's what I want to talk about with the last few minutes that we have together. We've talked about how to lose hope and we've talked about how to find hope. So how do we start a hope epidemic? Let me give you a couple ideas. The first thing we do is we look for suffering. We look for people around us who are struggling in life. People to whom uh, life has dealt a curve. Here's the deal. Nobody thinks about a major life change when things are going really well. Nobody wakes up on Sunday morning who doesn't attend church and thinks, gee, I just don't have enough stuff in my life. I think I'll get up and I'll go to church and, and maybe add that to my life. It doesn't happen. The only time we consider Jesus the only time we consider a change, the only time we think about something new, something else in our life, is when we're hurt, when there's something in, inside that's not, not working. And so we begin to look for those who suffer. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 16. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Underline the phrase, please, for me. In this world, you will have trouble. 
Jesus isn't making a promise. He's just stating how the world works. He's just saying this is a fallen world. In this world is evil and sickness and sin. In this world are people that want to hurt you. In this world is disease. In this world, if you're a human, if you draw air, you will suffer. The question isn't will you suffer, it's what you will do when you suffer. And so as Christians, as those who have found hope, it is our job to constantly be on patrol, to have our radar up for those around us who are suffering. And we find people who are suffering, that's our opportunity to share the hope that we have found because we are called to spread hope. Uh, first, um, we're, uh, I'm sorry, we are called to spread hope but the reality is, is we aren't all called exactly the same. We're not all wired up the same. We've, a, another misconception that I think that we have given in the church is that everybody should share hope like I do. Everyone should go knock on doors or everyone should ask their neighbor to come. And the truth is, is we're all wired up differently. In fact, take a look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. We all will spread the epidemic in a different way. How do we spread hope? Starts with a sneeze. Starts with a sneeze. See, every epidemic starts with a sneeze. Someone who spreads the disease. To start a hope epidemic, we need sneezers, and we don't all sneeze alike. In his book, uh, Tipping Point, Malcolm Gladwell, a few years ago, uh, identified three different types of sneezers in starting an epidemic. And I think this applies to us and how we spread hope. First, he said, in every epidemic, there are connectors. The connector is someone who knows people. And he loves or she loves introducing people to each other. The phrase, of the main phrase of the connector is, come and see. In the story we've been studying this month, the woman at the well was a connector. In John 4, she, it says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. She was connecting the people to Christ. She didn't preach to him. She didn't tell her story. She just said, Come and see this man. In the Christmas story that we're all thinking about right now, the angels were connectors. They came from heaven and they said to the shepherds, Go and see this child. They didn't tell him a lot about the child. They didn't try to convict him of sin. They didn't talk theology. They just said, go and see. Maybe you're a connector. Maybe you're not a great theologian. Maybe you're not a great teacher. Maybe you're not really a counselor. But you can't, you do know people. And you know how to invite people. And and you know how to say, hey, why don't you come and see? I mean, in in about a week and a half, couple of weeks, actually a week, huh, I lost track of time. This uh, Friday is Christmas. And Thursday night, we're having Christmas Eve services at almost all the campuses. For connectors, what a, what a cool opportunity. You don't have to talk to people about theology or the Bible or anything else. You can just say, hey, come and see. And who do you invite, remember? You look for people who are suffering, people that are open, people that are looking for hope. Some people are connectors. Malcolm Gladwell says another type of sneezer is a maven. A maven's an expert. A maven is someone people will listen to. In the story of the woman at the well, Jesus is the maven. It says that when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed those there two days. And many more believed because of his word. You know, in the Christmas story, the, the uh, uh, 
angels acted as connectors. The wise men acted as mavens. They studied the word. They understood the word. They pulled truth out of the word. They were able to teach the word. Maybe you're a maven. Maybe you're somebody that people come to for advice. And in talking to them, in counseling them, you can talk to them about Jesus. You can tell them about what Jesus is doing in your life. And you can point them to the truth of the word. Now, here's reality, guys. We're not all mavens. Some of us are connectors. We say, come and see. Some of us are mavens. We say, let, let me tell you about it. And then the third type of sneezer that Malcolm Gladwell identifies is he identifies salesmen. See, every epidemic has evangelists, people whose lives have been changed, and they love to tell their story. You know, in, in the story of the woman at the well, she was a connector. Jesus was a maven. And her neighbors became the, the salesmen. Look at John 4, 42. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. We have heard for ourselves and we know. They began to tell their story. In the Christmas story, the, the shepherds very quickly became salesmen. They heard, they were, they were, they were connected by the angels. Go see. They, they saw in the word what, 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 what the word said about Jesus, but then they immediately began to go out and share their story and to tell others. Luke 2 says that when the shepherds had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. See, some of you have an amazing story. God found you when you were hopeless. You had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. You learned to endure suffering. You developed character and you know where to find hope. And what God is calling you to do is share your story, to be a salesman about the hope that you found in Christ. And then the last thing that we need to do to start is to hope epidemic. We look for people who are suffering. And those people, we either connect them or we teach them, counsel them, or we just tell them our story. And then the last thing that we do is we help them carry the bags. Galatians 5 says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, there's no quick fix to finding hope. I think, again, sometimes we sell it too easy. We say, you know, come to Jesus and everything gets better. When you come to Jesus, now you have a source, but life is still difficult. I think one of the big mistakes we've made is door-to-door evangelism, where we just go, we knock on a door, we try to peddle a little hope, and then we move on. That's not what people need. What people need is a relationship. They need a friend that will say, come and see, come with me. Or they need a friend that will counsel them. Or they need a friend that will tell them their story. And then they need that friend to be there day after day after day as they learn to endure and as they build character and as they find hope. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be that kind of friend? So where are you at today? Maybe you need hope. Maybe you're at a place in your life that you just desperately need hope. First of all, this is your opportunity to connect with Jesus. If you haven't connected with him or it's been a long time, why not today? Why not during the end of our service time just spend a few minutes connecting with Jesus? Some of you, the suffering's tough. It's hard. 
Let me invite you just, let's just pray together. Let's bind together. Let's pray for each other. Let's lift each other up. And I got to tell you, there is hope. And for all of us, God's called us to spread a hope epidemic. It starts here. It continues when I share that hope with my neighbor. And then I share that hope with another neighbor. And then those neighbors share the hope. And it began with 12 ragged fishermen and tax collectors and zealots in Galilee. And it quickly grew and spread around the world. And God has called us in 2010 to continue that epidemic. Can I pray with you? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for um, your word. And Jesus, for your example. Lord, you, you, you chose to come to earth as a little baby. You didn't choose to come as a conquering king. You didn't choose to come in a royal palace. But you came as a poor baby to a poor family. And Lord, I think you did it because you you wanted to experience what we experience. You wanted to see the curves that life throws and know what suffering is. And you did, Lord. And Lord, through that suffering, you had hope. And because you have hope, we have hope. Lord, I pray for those today that are struggling and suffering. Lord, I pray that you'll encourage them. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we will fulfill what you have called us to do. And Lord, that we will spread hope and start a hope epidemic in our world. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.